word today from Ephesians 2. We just pray that you would open our hearts to not only hear with our ears, but to hear with our hearts the truth from your word today. May it penetrate. May it activate. May it empower us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Are we on? Yes. So, here's a fact about me that you might not know about me. I cannot spell. Okay? If, uh, if, if getting into heaven was based on spelling, I'm out. I'm out. Uh, I'm reminded of my first uh, paper that I submitted in college. Now, this was a while ago, so you still had to write it out. And it was written, double-spaced, handwritten and it was submitted. It was two pages. So we're talking probably half a page of typed text. And I had over 30 misspelled words on that one piece of paper. Um, I made a discovery about a year and a half ago that has absolutely transformed my writing. Now, Word, Microsoft Word came out with this thing that I've been aware of for a long time. And, you know, they, they put the little red squiggly lines under the words that, that are misspelled and the green squiggly lines under the, the grammar problems. And so most of my papers look like a Christmas tree. It's got so much red and green on it. But I, and, and oftentimes I'll right-click on it hoping that it'll tell me how to spell it. And sometimes it helps me, but sometimes my spelling is just so far off that it's like, ah, Good luck, Eddie. I, I mean, I, this isn't even close to a real word that even exists in the English language. The discovery that I made was that you can ask your phone to spell any word in the English language. I assume any word in any, any language. I, I thought I would demonstrate it to you for this morning, but I'm terrified to turn this thing on and get a phone call from my brother or something like that. But you can ask your phone to spell any word, and it will spell it for you. Here's a word that I don't think I've ever once in my lifetime spelled right the first time. In fact, uh, conscience. Conscience, okay? I, I, had to, I actually had to write this down to make sure I get it right. Conscience, now some of you probably are like, come on, Eddie, conscience, that's a simple word. Uh, here's how you spell conscience. C-O-N-S-C-I-E-N-C-E. -E -E. Conscience. Now, to my way of thinking, there ought to be a C-H in there somewhere. Conscience. That just sounds like it ought to have a C-H somewhere in there. Furthermore, I don't understand how anyone that grew up pronouncing English words could take the word con and, and plus science and not pronounce it con-science. I just don't get it. For years, I walked around with this device that had the ability to transform my spelling but it didn't actually transform anything until I understood it and started to use it. The same can be true of our spiritual uh, lives. It's possible for us to be tremendously blessed 
and walk around with those blessings for years and not really use them and as a result not really be transformed by them. You see, I could use this device for making phone calls. I mean, it is a phone, right? So, uh, but if the only thing I'm using this device for is making phone calls, I'm severely underutilizing the potential of this device. It's possible, if you're a believer today, that the only practical aspect of your faith is that you're going to spend eternity in heaven. And that's, that's true. I can make a phone call with this phone. But if that's the only truth, then you're severely underutilizing the blessings that you have in Jesus Christ. We're in the second part of a, ser a series on the book of Ephesians. Now, Paul wrote the book of Ephesians to the church in Ephesus. Uh, it's kind of a two-part book. It focus, the first three chapters sort of focus on who you are in Christ. And in those chapters, Paul is really trying to unpack the implications of what it means to be a believer, to be in Christ. And in the second three chapters, he, he really unpacks, because of who you are in Christ, this is what you should do. You see, as believers, sometimes we get that flipped. Uh, we, come to, we come to Christ, we, we're believers, and we want to live the Christian faith, and so we try to act a certain way to have a, a particular identity. And I think God honors our efforts. But the way that Paul presents things in the book of Ephesians is our actions flow from our identity. And last week, we looked at how blessed we are. If you're a believer... Uh, Ephesians chapter 1 taught us that, that you are blessed with every spiritual blessing. You've got them all. You've got blessings from the Father. You've got blessings from the Son. And you've got blessings from God the Holy Spirit. You've got all of the blessings. And, and, and chapter 2 is really a continuation of what we started in chapter 1. Paul's going to continue to unpack the identity that we have in Christ. And what we're going to see in chapter 2 is that who we are in Christ speaks to, it, it impacts, it should influence how the implications of who we were before Christ. So, so that's our yesterday. It's got implications for our today and it's going to have implications for our tomorrow. And for the purposes of this, of this sermon, when I say tomorrow, I'm really talking about tomorrow. I'm talking about Monday. I, I could be talking about uh, in an hour when this sermon's finished. It's not going to take an hour. So if you're worried about that, just... Okay? We're already halfway. No, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. Uh, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2. And what I, what I really want us to do is to see uh, the past, the present and the future implications of what it means to be as blessed as we are. One of the things that my family is going to be doing this week, or not this week, but this summer, is we're going to go see Hotel Transylvania 3. Now, I don't know anything about the Hotel Transylvania series, so I'm not, I'm not endorsing that, um, but this is just something that my kids want to do. 
And the issue with that is until this past week, uh, we hadn't seen one and two. So we want to go to theaters and watch three, but we don't have the background. And, and that's the way that series oftentimes work is you've got to understand what happened in the number two one and in the first one to really understand the plot and the tensions that are being resolved in the number three. And so before we jump into Ephesians chapter two, because Ephesians chapter two is really dealing with a mess, we got to understand a little bit about that mess. And so the first place that I want us to go is way back to the beginning of the creation. I want us to start in Genesis, and I want to kind of give you a feel for the mess that we're in. And then from there, we're going to jump into Ephesians. Like I said, we're going to look at the past implications, the present implications, and the future implications of what it means to be in Christ. And the last thing we're going to do is we're going to look at a couple of different ways to apply this passage. So, uh, go ahead and turn back to Genesis chapter 1. There'll be no excuse for not finding that one. Genesis chapter 1. And I just want us to take a quick look at verse 26. Genesis 1, 26. So this is the creation account. This is that whole uh, God said and there was and it was good. God's you know, said, let there be light, and then light showed up, and it was good. So if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, this is how we believe that everything that is came into being, is that God spoke it into being. And when God gets to the point where he's creating humankind, it's different. There are some things that he does when he's creating humans that he doesn't do for any of the rest of creation. Verse 26, and God said... Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion, essentially over creation. Mankind is made in the image of God. And part of what it means to be made in the image of God is it, it's almost like God has made us to be mirrors. We are made... Our purpose is to reflect his glory to creation. That's who we are created to be. That is our purpose as, as, as individual humans as well as humanity in general. We are created to reflect God's radiant glory to creation. That's what we're made to do. And if you know anything about the creation account... Uh, it doesn't take long before we jack that up. And by jack that up, I mean it gets really bad. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, this is where God has given instructions to not eat of the tree. Um, and he, tell, he, tells, uh, he tells Adam that the consequence of eating of that tree is going to be death. So in chapter 1, God tells us, here's why I created you. I created you to reflect me to humanity, to, to, to creation. That's what you're created to do. You're created to be a mirror. And then in chapter 2, among other things, God says, 
uh, I, I got to establish my authority as God. And so as God, I have to make at least one rule. There was only one rule. The Ten Commandments were, didn't come until hundreds of years later. There was only one rule in the garden, and that was to establish God's authority as God. And the consequence for the violation of that rule was going to be death. That's chapter 2. And then chapter 3 is we broke it. The, the, the rule was broken. And the result was death. But Adam and Eve did not die physically. They continued to live. And that's because in the Bible, oftentimes when we come across this concept of death, the focus isn't so much on the day that you die, that is, the day that you cease to exist. The focus is on the result of death. The focus is on the relationship is, is shattered. So if we are created to be mirrors that reflect God, to be spiritually dead is to be hopelessly and irrevocably shattered. We cannot do what we were created to do. And that brings us to the mess that Ephesians chapter 2 is addressing. So let's jump forward there. In verse 1, Chapter 2, verse 1, we immediately come across this concept of death. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once, once walked. Again, this idea of death, it can't possibly be physical death. I can prove that to you because Paul is this pretty smart guy and he's not going to write a book to a bunch of people who can't read it. So this has to mean spiritual death. That's what's going on here. We, we, we are spiritually dead. The second thing that I want to point out to you is this is all past tense. You were. So who you were isn't who you are. This is a book that's written to a group of believers. So Paul's not, this isn't an evangelistic message. He's not speaking to a group of unbelievers trying to convince them uh, to believe in Jesus Christ. This is a book that's written to a church not unlike our own mainly full of people who believe in Jesus Christ. And so he's telling them, this is the way life was. This is what your yesterday looked like. Let's look at what our yesterday looked like. Uh, not only were we dead, that is, we were hopelessly and irrevocably incapable of fulfilling the purpose that God made us for. But we also once walked and, and this idea of walk, this isn't necessarily what happened when you got out of your car and got to your seats. That, that's walk. But also, walk in the Bible can also mean it's just the way that you lived. It's the way that you lived your life. You walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now in work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh. You see, you walked by means of the world. I was trying to think about a way to, to illustrate this for you. This is what I came up with. 
Uh, occasionally, I'll get sick, and, and I have to take uh, medication, prescription medication. And sometimes, you know, you, you, you get the bottle, you get the bag that it comes in, and you throw it away, and you, you, take the, you, take, you, you follow whatever instructions your doctor gave you. And if you're like me, you never look at the bottle, you never look at the, the bag that it came in, you never look at the side effects, okay? Uh, and every once in a blue moon, uh, I'll take a medicine, and I mean, it will just put me to sleep. And then I'll go look at the bottle, and sure enough, it says, you know, be careful, this, this might make you drowsy. And I'm like, okay, well, that makes a lot of sense. Because we walked, this is former, because we walked according to our sinful nature, according to uh, the, the enemy of God, and according to our own passions, we were suffering the side effects of that. We were hopelessly and irrevocably incapable of doing that which we were created to do. And because of this, we deserve divine wrath. Look at the end of verse 3. We were by nature children of wrath. See, the text isn't telling us that Ah, we did one or two bad things, and so now God's got, you know, you know, God's the great daddy in the sky who's got to come deal with us because we broke the rules. No, 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 that's not what it's teaching. It's teaching us that by nature, our actions flowed from our former identity. You see, you took the medicine, and once you've taken the medicine, you can't, you can't alter the side effects. That's, that's just going to happen. The side effects of living according to the ways of the world were that we were hopelessly and irrevocably incapable of doing that which we were created to do. And here's what that ultimately results in. Uh, jump all the way down uh, to verse 11. Remember, at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, and that's all of us, were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the, in the hands Remember that you were at that time, again, past tense, you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Not only were we separated from Christ, but we were also separated from the people of God. Strangers to the covenants of God. We were strangers to the promises that God had made, having no hope and without God in the world. What could possibly be worse? If you are created to reflect the image of God, if that is why you are created, what could possibly be worse than to not have God in this world? There's nothing that could be worse. And that is the result of, the, of our former way of life. It's actually worse than most of us assume. Because you see, if I were to take some of that medicine that made me drowsy, and then I were to think, oh, I'm okay, it'll be all right, and I get in my car and I start driving down the road and I get pulled over, I'm driving under the influence. Whether I'm willing to admit that out loud or not, if the, if the police officer were to give me a test and I were to fail that test, I could suffer the wrath, the rightful wrath that the state of Texas has put into place for people who drive under the influence. 
and that, that would be the wrath of the state of Texas. We were under, the, we were living in a state deserving of the wrath of God, but thank God, who we were isn't who we are. Who we were is not who we, were, who we are. I want us now to, to look at who we are. What are the implications for who we are in Christ today? Our identity as believers. First off, I would like for us to look at the cause of our new identity. Look at verse 4. But, and so this is setting up the major contrast between what we've been talking about. The first three verses are what life looked like yesterday. And then I've told you who you were yesterday isn't who you are today. And that's why Paul is using this but. Real strong contrast here. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he, with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses and sins made us alive together with Christ by grace. By grace, you have been saved. The cause of our new identity in Christ isn't anything that we did. It's not a work that we did. It's not something that we, we accomplished. The, 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 the cause of our new identity in Christ is God's mercy and God's grace. Here's what mercy is. Mercy is not getting something that you deserve. Grace, on the other hand, is getting something that you don't deserve. I was trying to teach this concept to uh, Eddie, who is nine right now. I was trying to teach this to him several years ago, and uh, I explained it to him. Uh, and and you know he's a pretty pretty smart little guy. And so I taught him about mercy. And then it wasn't ten seconds later he was he was up to something that deserved a punishment. I don't even remember what the infraction was, but I distinctly remember uh, you need to be punished. And so him being the creative little kid that he is, he immediately says, "Dad, how about some of that mercy?" Okay? So you see, he gets what mercy is. He gets what mercy is. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Now, Eli, my other son, not wanting to be undone, created some other infraction. It probably wasn't 10 more minutes later. And he asked for grace. He says, Do, give me what you gave Eddie. Give me grace. Don't give me a spanking. And I had to explain to him that's not what grace is. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting something that you don't deserve. And since I had given Eddie mercy, I had to give Eli grace, but he didn't quite understand what it was because at the time he was like four. Uh, and, and so he said, Daddy, I, I, don't, I don't get it. What's the difference? And I said, here, follow me. And we went into the kitchen, and I gave him, I forget what it was. It was either a cookie or a Snickers bar. You see, he did something that deserved a spanking. And instead of getting what he deserved, he got a cookie. You see, that's what grace is. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace is getting something that you don't deserve. And all of this is motivated because God loves you so much. God loves the whole world, which is why he was willing to sacrifice his son on the cross so that we could have a relationship with him, 
so that we could be restored. And because he's merciful and loving and gracious, that's why our identity as believers today has been fundamentally changed from the way that it was. The way that it was, we were hopelessly and irrevocably shattered, totally incapable of doing what we were created to do. But because of God's grace, mercy, and love, we have been restored. Verses 5 and 6. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. See, God didn't wait for us to get our act together. He didn't wait for us to, to clean things up. He didn't wait for us to, to go to the shattered mirror and to start taking the little pieces. And it's like, well, I'll, I'll put this one here and I'll put this one here. He didn't wait for us to do anything. We were in the midst of our trespasses when he did this. He made us alive. There are three controlling verbs that occur in this passage. This concept of made alive. Uh, and there's also the concept of raised up with him. And the other one is seated with him. Uh, and and those, are, those are long words to express a verb. In, in the Greek, it's just one word for each of them. Uh, made alive with. Uh, raised up with and seated with. These are all just one individual word for each one of these. Uh, and you could almost translate it as co-raised, co-enlivened. In other words, wh what's happening to you today as a result of your newfound identity in Christ is a direct result of your linkage with Jesus Christ. I mentioned the possibility, you know, driving under the influence of, of, a, of a medicine. If I were to get pulled over, I would get those cold steel handcuffs placed on me, and, and I would get taken to uh, where, the jail. It's almost like God pulled me over. He pulled you over because you were living under the influence. You were acting in a way that was hopelessly and irrevocably not reflecting who he was. Okay? And, and he placed one handcuff on you. And just when you thought he was going to take you to jail, he takes you to Jesus and links you with him and says, because of what Jesus has done, because Jesus has been raised from the dead, when I look at you, I see you as co-enlivened with Jesus Christ. When I look at you, I see you as co-raised with Jesus Christ. And when I look at you, I see you as co-seated with Jesus Christ in the heavenlies. And this is so important because here's the implication. The implication of our linkage with Jesus Christ is that we are not subjected to the authority of the way of this world anymore. We are no longer under the influence of this world. We don't have to operate according to its power. That doesn't mean that we won't, but it does mean that we can. We, we are free. We are saved by grace through faith. And here's another implication. Jump down to verse 16. This is Paul talking about the implications. What, what are the products of us being linked to Jesus Christ? Uh, the, the reality that we are alive, the reality that we are seated with him, uh, the reality that we are raised with him, is that we, we, are, recon that, uh, we are reconciled both to God 
in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he preached peace to those who were far off and to near. What he's saying is, we are reconciled to Jesus. We are reconciled to God. You see, it wasn't enough that God fixed us. It wasn't enough that he took the mirror, the, the hopelessly and irrevocably shattered mirror, and fixed it all by himself. We did no part of it. By grace, by grace alone, by his mercy alone, he fixed it. But he recommissioned us. He recommissioned us to go out and fulfill the purpose for which we were originally created. And that has the implication that not only is our relationship with God restored, but our relationship with our fellow man has the potential to be restored. Here's what this means, practically speaking. We were originally created by God to reflect his image. Part of what reflecting his image means is we were created to be a blessing. You see, we were created to receive blessing from God so that we could turn around and be a blessing to creation. And then because of the fall, we shattered that. And then because of being placed in Christ, we have been restored and recommissioned to not only receive blessing again, that's what chapter 1 was about, is how blessed we are in Jesus Christ, but so that we can go out into our world and be a blessing. You see, we were created to receive blessing and to give blessing, and that is a very simple definition of what it means to, be, to worship. To worship is to thank God for the blessings that he has given you And then to turn around and to bless others as a result of it. You see, God doesn't want us to be a blessing pond. He, he doesn't want to pour his blessings into us so that we can just be this stagnant pool of everything that God has given us. He wants us to be a blessing stream or a blessing river. That is the implication of our linkage with Christ. Because we, have, we are capable of overcoming the world, because we are no longer under the influence, because we have been restored in who we are in Christ, we are capable now of being a blessing to the rest of the world. That br really brings us to the last major thrust of this text, and that is the implications on our tomorrow. And remember, when I say tomorrow, I I'm not talking about years from now in the sweet by and by. I when I say tomorrow, I'm, ta I'm literally talking about Monday. Okay? Look at verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. So this is, Paul has already said this. Paul's already said you're saved by grace. And he's saying it again because he really wants to drive home this point. For by grace you have been saved through grace. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Your restored relationship, my restored relationship, has nothing to do with anything that you did or anything that I did. 
we are restored. We are co-enlivened with Jesus Christ strictly because of the work that he did. It's by grace. And, and there's a reason for this. Continue. Not as a result of works so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship. Uh, that word for workmanship, that, that's, not, uh, that's not what comes off an assembly line. You know, we're, we're not talking about widgets. We're not, this is a craftsmanship word. This is, we are, we, are, we are his craftsmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. Some implications. You didn't do anything to deserve this, to merit this, to warrant this. And that's good news because that means you can't do anything to lose it. See, it's by grace alone that you have been united with Christ. It's not because of works. You see, you're free. You don't have to try to be good enough. It, it never would have worked anyway, but you don't have to try to be good enough. Another implication is you're created for works. Yours is not a purposeless life. If, if you're a believer here today, I know sometimes, I mean, the life gets to grinding. I don't know if, how it's been for you guys, but this summer has just been a grind for me. Uh, it, it's just been one thing after another after another, and sometimes it can seem like there's not a purpose, but if you're a believer here today, God has a purpose for you. Let me highlight one aspect of what that purpose is by bringing your attention toward the end of the chapter. Uh, jump down to verse 21. We're talking about Jesus here, uh, and, and Paul is using a building metaphor. And so it, it's uh, Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone of this structure that he's building up. We're, we're talking about the church at this point in whom this whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also, that's us, we also are being built together into a dwelling place for, the Spirit, for, for God. At this point, I need to address one small issue that's going on in the book of Ephesians, uh, and, and this is one of the reasons why I'm convinced that pretty much every Bible translation has been translated by a Yankee. Okay, they're trying, and if you're from the north, I'm, I don't mean that in a pejorative sense. I'm not insulting you, okay? But Yankees always use the word you. Down here in the south, we use the word y'all when we're talking to you and there's a bunch of you. In, in the north, when there's you and there's a bunch of you, we just say you. In the south, we use y'all. Every single occurrence of the word you in the book of Ephesians should be translated y'all. Okay? This is not, you got, and this is important, you got to understand this. This is not a book that's written to a bunch of individual Christians living in Ephesus. This is a book that's written to churches in Ephesus. Paul is talking to groups of believers in Ephesus. And he's telling the groups of believers. Now, obviously, there's an individual aspect to your salvation. 
But part of what it means to be enlivened by Christ is to be a part of his body, is to be a part of his church, which has manifested itself in these local exp expressions like what we have going on here at Firewheel. And part of the way that we manifest the blessings of God is by getting along with each other. That's part of what this passage is talking about. In light of how blessed you are, you ought to go about the business of being a part of this church by being a blessing to other people. That really kind of moves us into application. Uh, go ahead and pull up the application slides. Uh, here's, the, here's the truth that I want to leave you with this morning. Blessed people should bless people. Blessed people should bless people. And one of the ways that you bless people in this church is uh, we get along with each other. You see, God didn't, when we became believers, it's not like he created us all into a bunch of uniform individuals. Can you imagine how miserable that would be if everyone in this building was exactly like you? That would be real fun when you're trying to figure out where you're going for supper. But then it would get real, it would get, maybe not, because I, I mean, I know my wife, I don't think she ever knows where we're going to go for supper. It, it's always, uh, I, don't, I don't know, I don't know. It's, I'm a little bit more decisive. I'll, I'll make the decision and just roll with it. Uh, but the reality is we're still individuals. We carry our individual attributes. We carry our individual gifts. We carry our individual abilities into this body. And we use them. And part of what it means to carry, to bear God's image is to reflect that in here to each other. By using my gifts to serve you and you use your gifts to serve each other. Here are a couple of other ways that you could be a blessing. Read Ephesians chapter 2 this week. Again, let me remind you, this is in a portion of the book of Ephesians that is focused on who you are, what your fundamental identity in Jesus Christ is. There's technically no imperatives that show up here other than the word remember. Another part of what it means to live in a fallen world is batteries and microphones go out, right? And so, so, so this is part of, is this thing even on? Okay. It, it doesn't sound like it's on from where I'm at. But, but you see, this is, a, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Part of my gifting is speaking in public, is, is sharing God's words with people. Uh, Art, I don't know if Art really would want to come up here and talk to you about what the, what the Bible has to say. But he can bring me a microphone. Okay? And, and he, can, he can help me troubleshoot what's going on. And I'm sure we'll do that. And part of what it means to be a blessing to each other in the body of believers is to serve each other in much the same way that we just saw demonstrated right here. But we're not just supposed to be a blessing in here. There we go. Now it's working. That's Art back there using his gifts. 
Let me encourage you this week to be a blessing to your family. Now, I'm not going to tell you what that means. I'm not going to tell you a specific way that for you to be a blessing to your wife or to your, your, your spouse or to your, uh, to your kids or mom or dad or whatever that means. But let me remind you, fundamentally, blessed people should be blessing people. If you're blessed, you should be blessing people. And there's nowhere more important that you might do that than in your family. Let me give you another suggestion. Be a blessing at work. You see what Art just did? He stopped what he was doing so that he could get a microphone to me so that I'm in a better position to serve y'all. How you like I just used that word, y'all, again? Uh, you can do that at work, wherever it is that you work. You can be a blessing as a result of the fact of how blessed you are in Jesus Christ, as a result of the fact of your union with Jesus Christ. The only thing that makes sense for you to do is to turn around and be a reflection of how blessed you are to, to reflect God to the place that you, in the place that you work. And lastly, let me suggest that you be a blessing here. We've got so many different places that you could serve here. We've got a parking ministry. We've got guest services. We saw the, the, the show, at the, the, the little video clip at the beginning of the service about how uh, we have a guest service ministry. Maybe you're an outgoing kind of person and you like shaking people's hands and, and you could stand at the front door and shake people's hands unless they're introverted and they don't want to have their hands shook, in which case you can still make them feel welcome, but you don't need to shake their hand. The children's ministry is always looking for help. You could bless people by watching their children. Amy and I have three kids. None of them are in this room right now. That's a blessing to us. Okay. There are some people that are serving us over there that are being a blessing in here. We have Soul Church. Uh, we, we Come talk to me after the service if you want any information about this. I, I'd love to get you plugged in. Let me leave you with one caution and then an exhortation. As soon as you make up your mind to go be a blessing, you are going to find people who don't deserve to be blessed. As soon as you make up in your mind and your family, I'm going to be a blessing to her, or I'm going to be a blessing to him. As soon as you make up your mind at work, I'm going to be a blessing to that group. Uh, and I would go so far as to say, even here at our church, as soon as you make up your mind to say, I'm going to be a part of that ministry, you are going to find people who don't deserve to be blessed. And you're supposed to bless them anyway, because that's exactly what God did for you. It's by grace that you are saved. It's by grace that you have been reunited with Christ. It's by grace that you have been recommissioned. My final exhortation. Blessed people should bless people. Imagine what that would look like here if we went around our, our, our business in this church 
trying to bless people. Imagine how your home would be different if instead of trying to get what was, what's your right to get, you went around trying to bless people. Imagine what your work, how your work might be different if you brought that attitude everywhere you went. Let me close this in prayer. Father, I thank you for this passage. I thank you that you have fundamentally changed our identity uh, from people who are hopelessly and irrevocably separated from you to people who are restored, to people who are capable of doing what you created us to do. Uh, I thank you for blessing us that we might bless other people. Lord, there may be some people here today uh, that are just exploring the Christian faith. Maybe they've never came to a place where they've placed their faith in Jesus. And Lord, maybe today's the day that you're tugging at their heart, that you're asking them to take that step of faith. Lord, if that's the case, then, then I, pray that, I pray that they would. And Lord, for those of us that are, that are believers today, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear where and how we can be a blessing, both in our families, at our work, and here at Firewheel. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen.